You know, I'm excited about what, uh, what God is doing. I'm excited about what he's been doing in all of our, uh, all of our last eight weeks, because the last eight weeks have been, um, you know, we've been refocusing on, on what God has called us to do as a church. And it's kind of funny, because I, I, I thought about it in this way with, um, with the refocus that we have. And we, we've been focusing on, on four of the five so far over the last eight weeks. And as we look at the four of the five so far over the last eight weeks, they are... Um, their, their discipleship, their prayer, its community or connection, and worship. And as we've looked at those things, we said, all these things are gospel-centered. And I kind of looked at them and said, you know, these are not unique to our church. As a matter of fact, they should be for every church. Every church should be focusing on discipleship. Every church should be focusing on prayer. Every church should be con- focusing on connection. Every church should be focusing on worship. It's not something that, that if you walked in here today and went, wow, you guys are doing something completely new and, and unusual. No, it, it should be the same thing that we do at all times. And we see it and we see all the ways this comes together. And as we've been going through, we talked about discipleship, about being a disciple and making a disciple, about being a follower of Christ and making followers of Christ. We talked about prayer. And as we talked about prayer, we, we looked at the fact we need to pray prayers of desperation, which will we'll tie into today as well. But uh, we also looked into the importance of community and you know we, we focused on community groups and our connection groups and, and getting involved in those and today we actually have five different opportunities just for you to do that we have three connection groups that are taking place tonight from 4 15 to 5 45 we have youth connection that'll be taking place from 2 to 3 30 today at the trevillian house and we also have our paragon kids just we want to see that connection take excuse me taking place and over the last two weeks we've been talking about worship We've been talking about the different ways of worshiping and making sure that we're, we're not bowing down. I, I realized last night that I'd forgotten to take my golden calf from last week. And so he's still here, but I think it's a good reminder that we have a tendency to throw ourselves at, at things of the world instead of things that, that God would have us to be. And God wants us to be and him to be number one in our lives. And we see this kind of play out. And these core values that we have have something very much in common. As a matter of fact, they have more than one thing. They have a number of things in common. But two things that I see, one is gospel-centered. And in our little logo that we have, it's got the gospel centered around. That, that's what it's all about, making sure that we're focusing on him, focusing on the good news that is Jesus Christ when we're doing discipleship, when we're praying, when we're meeting community, when we're doing worship. And the second thing I see that have in common is this. There's cost involved. There's cost involved with each and every one of these. I mean, when we really break it down, if, if we're refocusing, because we've lost focus and we've drifted from things. When we refocus on our energy, on, on the gospel, on being gospel-centered in everything that we do, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us mentally. It's going to cost us physically. It's going to cost us even financially. Because as God directs our attention away from the things of the world towards him, and we begin to go through that process of change, you know, the come as you are is great. The be changed, not quite as easy. And as he's changing us and he's transforming us into who he wants us to be, we're going to refocus our attention of our time, of our effort, of our energy, and of our finances to what he would call us to do. You know, it's funny. I got an ad this morning. I actually woke up before my alarm this morning. I'm not sure why that was. But I got an ad this morning in my, in my email. It was from Best Buy. In the Best Buy ad, it said, come get all the stuff that you need. And, of course, they're promoting March Madness. And you need to have a new TV for March Madness because you just can't watch basketball on the one you already have. And it actually said this, step up your obsession. And I was like, you know what? That's exactly it. 
We become obsessed, and we need to step up our obsession. But it shouldn't be towards a TV. It should be towards Jesus Christ. Step up our obsession. Invest more in it. And I'm not just talking. You guys know I rarely talk about money. And, and in that, we need to step up our obsession and invest in what God is doing. And that doesn't change is what we talk about with today. See, we're going to be talking about evangelism today. Those first four have those same things in common, that there's a cost involved, that they need to be gospel-centered. But today we're going to talk about evangelism. And as we get into evangelism, it's a scary word. A lot of people in the church don't particularly like it. And as a matter of fact, a lot of people in the church don't particularly do it. The the statistics say that 90% of Christians will never evangelize. They will never share their faith with another person. And as we think about that, I want to think about this definition for a second. The definition of evangelism is this. The preaching or promulgation of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when you read a definition, you have to have another definition to define a word that's within the definition. That's not good. But I didn't have any idea what promulgation meant. So I had to go look that one up too. And in promulgation, it says this. To make known by open declaration. To make known by open declaration. That is evangelism. To make known. If it's gospel-centered, what are you making known? The gospel. And that gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. That he has changed us. That he is working on us. And we share that story. Like I said, statistics say that 90% of Christians never do it. Why is that? Why is it that we do not want to share our faith? I mean, Let's just be very honest here. Sin is a cancer. Sin is a cancer to our soul. It's a cancer to our lives. It is literally killing us from the inside out. It's separating us from God. Now, if you had the actual cure to cancer, would you share it? If you woke up in the morning and you've been fiddling around with your chemistry set and you're like, hey, look at that. That's the cure to cancer. Boom, there you have it. Would you go down to UNM Cancer Center and say, guess what I found, everybody? Let's pass this around because everybody in here is going to be made well, right? I mean, is there anybody in this room that would not do that? Would anybody in this room hold on to the literal cure to cancer? Because you know what? Cancer sucks. And it destroys lives, and it destroys families, and it destroys everything. Many people in this room have experienced it either firsthand or through a family member or whatever it might be. We would not hold on to that cure. So why do we hold on to the cure to the cancer of sin? Because Jesus came to cure that. Why do we hold on to those things? Why are we in that? There's lots of excuses I'm sure I could probably fill up the rest of my time with. But I wrote down four of them. I think first one is this. I told you it's going to cost us. I don't think people want to pay the price. I don't think people want to pay the price of evangelism. Because you know what happens if you share Christ with somebody? Your relationship becomes a little bit different, doesn't it? It creates a little awkward tension there. There's a little thing. There's a huge reward, but the risk is also huge. And when we see that risk being huge up front, we say, oh, I'm just going to hold back and not do it. The second thing I wrote down was this. People don't realize the importance I don't believe that they take on the greatness and the grandness of eternity. Eternity is forever. I'm not sure if you've held on to that thought ever. We're very much an instant society, so we think very much about right now. That's why the advertisement for for Best Buy can say, you know, feed your obsession, push your obsession, because right now is when you need to have that. You need to make yourself happy right now. They They can say that. 
But in all reality, right now is going to fade. Eternity is forever. And we miss that, and I think we forget about that. I also think that people don't think it's necessary. I think when we look at it, 90%, and this is a different 90% than the ones I told you up front, although I think the, the statistics may or may not uh, actually you know, connect here. But 90% of Americans claim Christianity. If you gave them a survey, 90% would check Christianity on the list of, of their religious affiliation, although nuns is becoming, and not N-U-N-S, not like Catholic nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Nuns are starting to climb up. They have no religious affiliation whatsoever. But 90% claim to be Christians. Yet, of those 90%, there's a good percentage that don't believe in the foundations of the Christian faith. The foundations of Christian faith are this. Absolute moral truth exists. The Bible is completely accurate in all the principles it teaches. Satan is a real being or force, not merely symbolic. A person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or doing good works. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. God is all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. Those are the basics of the Christian faith. Of the 90% of Americans who are professing to be Christians, professing to be followers of Christ, guess what percentage believe those things to be true? Just by a show of hands, how many think 60% of Christians believe those things to be true? Okay, so you guys understand the church. How about 40%? You guys want to know what the number is? Nine. Nine percent of Christians in America believe these things to be the truth. The things that Christianity is based on, that's what they believe. How can you even care about evangelizing and sharing the truth if you don't even believe the truth of yourself? You know what's even worse? That the 18 to 23-year-old age bracket, it goes down to less than one percent. What's going on? Why is it that we're having that? Why are these numbers so shocking to us? Why is it? Well, you know, as we see this reality of Christians just checking a box, Christianity is more than that. Christianity is more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card that says, yeah, I prayed a prayer way back when, so I didn't have to go to hell because hell sounded pretty bad. It's more than that. And I think really the fourth thing is, and this is probably one of even the biggest excuses for the 9% that are left of those 90% that were out there. I think people believe they haven't been given the gift of evangelism by God. Because people believe that there are spiritual gifts when you become a, a, a and I don't say this, a, a, that was worded wrong. We are given spiritual gifts when we become Christians. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and he emphasizes spiritual gifts in our lives. And those gifts range throughout the scriptures and we see them. People have said that evangelism is a spiritual gift. I would like to correct anybody on that one. Because I don't believe it is a spiritual gift. I believe it's an office that is given. Now, they'll take a scripture of Ephesians chapter 4 and say, well, this is where it says it. Let me read to you that scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, and then maybe it'll clarify why it's not a spiritual gift. This is what they say. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now we see that right there, and they say, well, God gave these things. He gave the apostles. He gave the evangelists. He gave the prophets. He gave the teachers. So these are the gifts that are there. My thing is, is no, he didn't give those as gifts. He gave those as an office. He gave people to do what does verse 12 say? Did you see what it said? To equip the saints. Who are the saints? All of us. If you're a believer, you're a saint. So as a believer, as a saint, you are being equipped to do these things. So the evangelist is equipping you to do 
Evangelism. The teacher is equipping you to teach. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go step up and be the one in front, but they are equipping the saints to go and to share and to do these things, these works of ministry. This is what you need to know. You and I are called and empowered to evangelize. As a matter of fact, the end of Jesus' ministry has multiple times where he says, you need to go. Let me just read through them for you here really fast. I was going to have you read them to me, but last night I went really long, and that's not allowed because we have a 1030 service today. So I'm going to have to read them to you, all right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, go. Go make disciples. Mark 16, 15, even a little bit more clear. He said to them, go into all the world and do what? What's it say? Tell me louder. What's that mean? It means you evangelize, to go tell, to share the good news. That's what it is to proclaim the gospel. To who? The whole creation. Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 48, there's two guys that are walking on the road to Emmaus, and as they're walking along, it's after Jesus had died and been risen again, and they're chatting back and forth, and Jesus shows himself, and as he shows himself, he's not showing himself as Jesus, he's just a guy walking down the road, so he starts asking these guys, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, oh, we're talking about Jesus who raised from the dead, and they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, are you the only person that's never heard this? I mean, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem? And so then that kind of opens up this thing, and this is where it picks up. He says, then... He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be what? Proclaimed. Proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses. You are the ones that are supposed to go and tell because you have seen it. You have experienced it. You are the witness of these things. John 20, 21 says to this, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. It's time for us to go. Acts 1.8. We talked about this one last week. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Once again, witnesses. We are to go. We are to share. We are to proclaim. And where are we supposed to do it at? Jerusalem, starting in our city. Judea, our state. Samaria, the places that we hate, like Walmart, and the ends of the earth. I was driving through Walmart, and I'm like, this is it. This is my Samaria. This is, yeah, yeah, I, was, yeah, I just went through. I couldn't stop and go in. I had to just drive through. You know what? Just going to side note, I think if anybody had a drive-through grocery store, they'd make a lot of money. Just telling you. It's not easy, though. These things that Jesus has called us to go to, these things that Jesus has called us to do, it's not easy. It's going to create uncomfortability. It's going to create tension in relationships. But did Jesus say, only do it if you're comfortable? Only do it if this is it? If you feel like this is okay? No, he says, this is what we have to do. It's our ministry to people, to reach out, to share what Jesus has done for us. And we see um, this Acts chapter 1, verse 8 that I read to you, play itself out. So what I want you to do is I want you to grab your Bibles out, and I want you to go to Acts chapter 8, because we're going to see how Acts chapter 1, verse 8 starts to play itself out. If you don't have your Bibles, but you have your phone, the YouVersion app is up on there, and you can go to the live, and you can click on each one of these verses that we're going to go through. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8, let me read it to you again, 
And we're going to see what Jesus is calling people to do. He's calling people to go and to go out. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are going. And wherever we are going, we need to be his witnesses. We need to be the one that goes out. Let me ask you a question. What does that look like? What does going out and being a witness look like? Does it mean that you should buy the cup of coffee for the guy that's standing behind you at Starbucks to share Jesus' love? Yes or no? That's a start. It's a start. It's not actually evangelizing. Sometimes we think just being a Christian is being a witness. And it's a start. It's an opening of, of a door. But we cannot proclaim just by doing. You have to use words, just like Jerome was saying. And we'll see that play itself out here in verse 8, or chapter 8, I mean. But with, I'll tell you what happened this week. Uh, on Monday night, I got to go uh, out because we were out of milk. And so I ran to Walmart, or, uh, not Walmart, because that, that's a place I try to avoid as much as possible. I went to Albertsons. And then when I went to Albertsons, I walked in. I grabbed the two gallons of milk. I'm standing in line. I'm waiting. Milk comes up. Comes time for me to pay. And the guy behind me uh, starts doing the old number, feeling around. He's like, oh, blankety-blank, and I'll let you fill in those blankety-blanks. But uh, he said that and said, I left my wallet in my other pants. I have to go home and get my money. And I looked at his, and he had, he had milk. He had a thing of eggs, and he had pancake batter. Because Tuesday was National Pancake Day, I guess. So he wanted to make sure he was all set for that. And uh, I'm like, that's got to be, what, eight bucks? I said, how about I get that for you? He's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I can get that. It's no big deal. So I went ahead and did it. And I just happened to have the invite card in my wallet. And I said, why don't you come join us at church this Sunday? He's like, absolutely, I will. That'd be great. I'd love to. And I don't see him here, so it's okay for me to share the story. But the, uh, um, the thing is, is, is that evangelism? Is inviting somebody to church evangelism? Once again, it's, it's the opening of a door, but is it sharing the good news of who Jesus is? If we go back to that definition, the preaching or the promulgation of the gospel, am I doing that? Are we doing that when we're raking somebody's yard? Are we doing that when we're helping clean up leaves, whatever it might be? Like I said, it's a start. It's opening a door, but it's not to be making known that open declaration or to teach publicly like it talks about. So we see Acts start this way, and as Acts starts this way, we see Acts chapter 8 open up. And in Acts chapter 8, as this opens up, we see God start to move. And it's amazing to watch how God moves in this, actually, because this is the way Acts chapter 8 starts. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. Now, this is the execution of Stephen. Stephen was preaching the gospel, and, and people got mad, and they stoned him. And Saul, who later became Paul, who later wrote most of the New Testament by the inspiration of God, was watching over this and watching it take place. And look what happens next. And then there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I want to pause right there just for just a second. Because there's a couple of things we see right there. One, we see a thing called the great persecution taking place. One thing that absolutely just eats me up inside is when Christians believe because our rights are being taken away for whatever reason here in America that we're being persecuted. The day you end up in prison because of your beliefs, call me. 
Actually, you probably won't have to call me. You'll probably just have to yell to the next cell over because I'll be right next to you. Because that's persecution. That's when it steps in. When people start dying because of it, that's persecution. We don't know persecution. I hate it when people call that out. Say, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. You're being challenged by God to stand up and live for your faith. And that's what we need to do. And you know what happens because of this great persecution? What's it say right after? It says, the great persecution against Jerusalem and, uh, uh, and the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered through what areas? Judea and Samaria. What did, what did, did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? You're going to go from Jerusalem to where? Judea and Samaria. You think God had a plan? You think God knew exactly what he was doing? Because look what happens next in verse 4. Now those who were scattered were out doing what? Preaching the word. Not doing nice things, not buying a cup of coffee for their neighbor, not buying pancake mix. They were preaching the word. They were out sharing their faith. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Remember we talked about Samaria last week? That's the place that the Jews didn't like. They were the half-breeds. And Philip went right there. That's where he went. And he proclaimed to them the Christ. He shared with them the Christ. And the crowd, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. Now, he was doing work. He was doing things in the name of Jesus. So it wasn't just the proclamation. He was doing works. But the works are not what got everybody saved. It's just what got their attention so he could share with them. It says, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. So they're seeing these things take place. And this is what I want you to see in this passage. We're going to look at six things in this passage that evangelism is and what it really means as we play this out. And the first thing is this. Evangelism is the proclamation of Jesus Christ and that is it that is what evangelism is we see it play itself out Jerome already said it for the gospel is we need to preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words St. Francis of Assisi said that well guess what it's always necessary to use words always necessary don't believe me that same guy that got that whole get up and going scatter everybody out that Saul who turned into Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, and he tells us exactly this. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You see the way it starts? We start with being sent. Well, Jesus sent us. He said, go. And then we go and we preach. And we preach so they can hear. And they hear and they repent. That's the way it works. That's what he says, and we're supposed to go that way. And verse 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Is us, hearing from the word of Christ, sent to go to share that word of Christ with everybody else. It's through the word that we are saved. Not through buying coffee, not through buying groceries, not through raking leaves. Those are open doors. But the evangelism comes when we actually share the good news of the life change that you have in your life. That's what it is about. The second thing I want you to see is this. 
of the six things evangelism will disrupt your normal routine. Evangelism is going to disrupt your normal routine. If you go down from verse 8 down to verse 26, you'll see, I mean, Philip has this amazing ministry going on. All these people are in joy and they're happy and, and people are getting saved. It's what every pastor dreams of for their church, to see that take place. And God says to him, hey, you know what? You're done there. Time for you to leave. No pastor wants to leave at the height of their church. They don't want to leave when everything's going great. They start looking for that church when it's time for me to find something bigger and better. But he says, I want you to do something. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. He heard what God said, and what did he do? He obeyed. He went. He did his thing. God specifically spoke to his heart and said, it's time for you to go. And I have something very specific for you. You know what we need to pray as a church, as an individual? God, disrupt my normal routine. Because routine can be very comfortable. Routine can come what we're just doing and we get rote and we forget that there's something bigger than that. We lose focus on the things that matter. And that's why we're refocusing and refocusing on evangelism that God would change us. We need to beg him to disrupt our normal and make ourselves available to whatever he wants us to do. Reading on from there, it says this. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace. If you're wondering what a eunuch is, kids, just ask your parents later. Queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Why do you think God sent Philip down this road? Do you think God had a plan in sending Philip down this road? When the angel of the Lord said, you need to go, I'm giving you very specific, head south between Jerusalem and Gaza, and just happened to be this coincidental thing's taking place, that there's this Ethiopian eunuch coming up the road, heading north towards Jerusalem, and on his way there, he just happens to be reading the book of Isaiah. And as he's reading the book of Isaiah, he's trying to figure this thing out. Let me tell you something. This is the third thing. God is preparing the hearts of people that he's prompting you to share Jesus Christ with. He's prompting the hearts of people. He's preparing their minds. He's preparing what they want them to do. Please understand, we have no idea what is going on in anybody else's life. People come into church, and they put on their pretty face. People out there, they put on their pretty face. They don't want you to really know what's going on in their lives. They don't want you to know the struggles. They don't want you to know the hurts, because you know what? That makes us look weaker. And so we will not share for real on what is going on when somebody says, hey, how you doing? They're not going to break it down for you and really tell you how they're doing. And if they did, you'd probably be disappointed anyway because you didn't really want to hear it. But think about this for a second. What is God doing in your life to change you and work on you and shape you? He's probably doing something in their life as well. And it's our job to take that step. He's obviously working on this Ethiopian eunuch. He's having him read. And guess what Philip does? It says this, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran up to him, which means what? He put a little bit of effort into it, right? It took a little bit of cost, of physicality. He had to, you know, burn off a few calories to catch up to this guy. And he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, hey, guess what? Do you understand what you're reading? You know what he didn't do? He didn't run up and be like, hey, eunuch, uh, 
Jesus told me to come and follow after you and tell you that you are going to hell. You're going to burn like bacon in the devil's fire, my friend, if you don't listen to what I have to say right now. Here's my sign. God hates you right now. No, he didn't do that. What did he do? He was normal. He was himself. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? That's the next point. Just be normal. If you're going to share Jesus with somebody, just be normal. You don't have to Jesus juke them. You don't have to throw in Jesus with every conversation with him. It's like, oh man, I can't find my keys. Well, guess what? I got the keys, keys to the kingdom. What? You know, you, don't do that. Don't do that. Just be normal. Just be the guy that cares about somebody else. Just be that person. That is what he's called us to be. That's what he's selling us to do in this. He says, do you understand what you're reading? God puts opportunities in front of us every day to be normal and share his love. Use it. Use it. It's that simple. And look what it says in verse 31. He said, how can I, unless somebody guides me? What? Did you just open up a door for me to share with you? To guide you through what Isaiah has to say? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture he was reading said this. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, who is this about? Is it about the guy who's writing it or is it about somebody different? And Philip's like, well, hey, guess what? It's about a guy who died just a short time ago and rose again from the dead. And began to tell scripture and he told the good news about Jesus. Verse 35. Philip began where the eunuch was. He invested in him. He took time. He took effort. He walked along with him. And in the process of doing that, he, he reached out. He reached out and shared the gospel. Everything comes back around to the gospel when it's about Jesus. When we're gospel-centered, everything comes back around to that. Because if you can imagine, by the way, that's point number five. Everything comes back around to the gospel. Can you imagine if, I mean, Ethiopia has some pretty good coffee, if you like coffee. I had to drink a lot when we were there. But can you imagine if Philip just said, hey, I'm going to buy you a cup of that Ethiopian coffee. We're just going to sit and talk. And at the end of it, he just walked away and said, well, I felt like I was Jesus to that person. You think that story would be any good? No, it would be about a caffeinated eunuch. That would be it. It would be a bad story. Nobody would care. But it's the fact that he shared the gospel. And look what goes on from there in the rest of this story. And it says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, check this out. This is awesome. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. He teleported. The Bible has teleportation. Just going to let you guys know that, okay? He teleports away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in a whole other city that I can't produce, pronounce, and it passed through it. And guess what he was doing in that city? He was doing what? preaching the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The eunuch receives Christ, baptized, God moves Philip, and guess what he keeps doing? He keeps proclaiming Christ. Number six is, is that evangelism is not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time deal. It continues. If you're not dead, you're not done. Remember that. If there's one thing you hold on to today. If you're not dead, you're not done. You are put in situations. God puts you in places to reach out to people. There's a world that is right outside these doors that is hurting. 
Do you understand the impact that we can have from this very location that we're in as we go, as we go out and we connect with people wherever you live, wherever you are at? You reach people that I cannot. Some of you are in high school. I can't go onto the high school campus and just openly share the gospel without people going, that's weird. But you've built relationships with those people that they say he or she cares about me. You have built relationships with other wives. You have built relationships with other men. You have built relationships with whoever, people in your workplace, people in your school, whatever it might be. People I can't reach, but people that you can. And that is why I am sending you, because Christ sent me, to go and share. I'm not sure if you had a chance to see it. It's on YouTube now. I uploaded it last night. But this is the video I want you to watch. It's some footage we took back in September of just driving around the city, taking a little drone footage, going straight up from our parking lot, taking a look around at how we can reach our city for Christ. Corey, you mind running that for me? We are the change The world is waiting for
Putting that video together just struck me. 591,000 people within the walls or within the reach of the walls of our church that don't know Jesus. And what are we doing about it? What are we as a church doing about it? What are we as a group of churches doing about it? Are we just happy and content to sit on a Sunday morning and say, man, that worship was good. Man, that message was good. Man, whatever it might be, and walk out and do nothing in response? No, I hope not. We need to respond. Something that, that stuck with me at a conference I went to just a couple of weeks ago down at Sagebrush uh, it was a Baptist Convention's evangelism conference, and one of the, the guys got up and he spoke, and he said, you know what the church is? He said, the church is the old man who goes out on the front porch and yells at all the neighborhood kids for all the things they're doing and all the noise they make, and then goes back inside their house all grumpy and angry. He just hangs out in there, just go yell at them again. I said, that, that's it. That's the church. I remember when I was growing up, there was a guy that lived across the street from me. His name was Joe. He's an old Italian guy. He literally died yelling at the kids across the street for coming into his front yard. He was yelling at them, had a heart attack, and died right there. And I thought, you know what? Even better illustration is the church dying because we have not shifted our view of culture. All we're looking at is what they've done wrong, what they're doing wrong. You know what they know down deep that they're doing wrong. It's not our job to point that out. It's our job to point out the love of Christ and the way that he's changed us from when we were doing wrong. Guess what? We still do wrong. We still slip and fall, but we have this net that is Jesus Christ and the mercy that he is, and they need to know that. They don't need to know what they're doing wrong, and next week we're going to tackle how do we do that? Are we against the city? Are we just in the city? Are we for the city? What are we? As a church, where are we at? And that is what we have to do. My challenge to you is this week. Will you join me in introducing somebody to Jesus this week? Will you find one person you can share with? And you're like, I don't even know what to share. Just tell about what he did for you. Tell your story. Because nobody can deny your story. What God has done for you in your life. How Jesus has changed you. Just share that. Make it two minutes. You lose people's attention after that. I know that because two minutes ago, I was already done with you guys. You know what I'm saying? But the the thing is, is that we hold on to that. Just share it. Share the good news. God's preparing people's hearts as you're going into their lives and into their world. Make sure you do that. Here's my question for you. My final thing I want to wrap up with is, do you have a story? Because, see, there's, a, there's an epic story that plays out, and we're going to talk about this more next week as well. Just like any movie, think about any superhero movie. There's the, the, there's the creation, there's the 
fall, something bad happens, there's the salvation that takes place, and then the rest of the movie is just played out with what the salvation that took place. That's, that's the gospel. There was a creation, there was a fall, there was a salvation, and the rest of it is just what's playing out from there. If you haven't met that salvation, this morning's the morning to do it. I want to share with you. I'm going to be down here in the front after I pray and the band sings our last song. And if you haven't met Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you need to. And I want to be able to, to, be able to share that with you. And I want to be able to, to pray with you over that. So let's pray together. Father, thank you again for who you are. And thank you again for what you do. Thank you for the love that you have for us. And thank you that you, you took the time. You invested. You understood the cost that it was for us. You understood that it was going to cost you your son, Jesus. Cost him his life so that we could have a relationship with you. God, if there's people in here that understand that, I pray that this week they go tell somebody else about it who doesn't understand it. That you are already preparing along the way, along that road, that you have us like Philip, heading south with somebody else, heading north, and we just happen to run into them. And coincidentally, they need to know about you. That God, that happens this week. That happens even as we walk out of here. If we go and we go grab something to eat at Chili's, that that server gets to hear about your good name. And after we share it, that we give them a big tip so they know that we still love them too. God, I pray that whatever interaction we might have at Walmart or Albertsons or at the movie theater, wherever it be in Cabazon or Northern Meadows or North Hills or Enchanted Hills or Corrales or Albuquerque, whatever it might be, when we have those interactions, that God, we would see the hurt that people have in their lives, that people truly are lost without you, and that we have the way, the truth and the life living within us guiding us and directing us. God, help us to share that with others. If somebody in this room does not have that, God, I pray this morning is the morning. They're not worried about what anybody else might think. They're just worried about meeting you and spending eternity with you. God, you've been more than good to us. We have lots of excuses. Shake those from us. Help us to be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer when it says that as you have called us, you really is calling us to die to ourselves. God, help us in that area to die to ourselves, to stop bowing down to the golden calves and throwing all of our resources at that, but instead giving it to you, however that might look. We pray that all in your name. Amen.